Hell yeah. Hit it. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Gary, you got one for me? Thank you. And thank you very much for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us at Try Love Podcast. You can find them at Trilon Cinema and Trilon.org where you can get tickets to movies uh, by merch, including a ticket to, I believe, the film we're going to be talking about today if you, uh, if you are still in the mood to be going to movies in person. Um, my name is Jason Daphnis. Uh, Lamb brings out the beast in me, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm glad you said that one, Jason, uh, and I anticipated it, and I have a fallback. So without further ado, I'm Cody Narvison, bizarre and erotic without crossing a line, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. <laughs> uh, a man like me has nothing but free time. Um, I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on, at, on Twitter at Chitake Harry. Sorry, I'm reeling from Cody's. I don't have a fallback. Uh, yeah, I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at uh, RB, please. Did, did you have a, a first one? Yes. What was it? Uh-oh. I, I can't say that. Who? Why okay. would I reveal my secrets? Uh, well, no, consi- consider, consider, consider us the hole in the tree, and then when you're done, we can just pack it with mud. Uh, today yeah. we're going to, we, yeah, we're going to be talking about, uh, in, in the big old 2021, we're going to be talking about a movie from the big old 2004 called 2046. One of the, I believe, I think I've said this three times, final films in our Wong Kar watch series of Wong Kar wise films. Uh, this one is actually going to be playing at the Trilon, I believe the only Wong Kar Wai that's playing in 35 millimeter later this month as of March. Uh, so yeah, find uh, find ways to watch it wherever you can. But I'm going to let Aaron take it away and tell us what exactly it's about. Yes. Uh, do we all agree to to say either two zero four six or twenty forty six? We did not. I thought. I mean, is it two o four six? Is supposed to be the, the wasn't that the, the pronunciation? The IMDb trivia gospel, um, praise be to the highest, uh, said two o four six is reportedly the intended pronunciation i looked around and i couldn't find a source for that in my head i've been saying 2046 um, that's how i always say it too i don't know why that's right. interesting. how it feels in your soul i yeah. guess the only way that it's spoken aloud with like uh latin numerals is or sorry arabic numerals is 2046 is how it's spoken in this in this movie right that is what I was going to take it as, just because there's one person who says it that way, and then otherwise it's all in Cantonese. So however you like. We'll understand what you're talking about, however you talk about it. But tell us what you're talking about. All right. Well, I'm choosing to talk about the film 2046, which is a 2004 film directed by Wong Wait, Kar Wai. This fucking is this, guy. Is this the wrong episode? I can't, I can't believe this. What? Just, just go. What? 
The film continues the story of 2000s in the mood for loves. Uh, Chow uh, Mo Wan played again in this film by Tony Lung Chu Wai. After returning to Hong Kong after a number of years in Singapore, he rents out an apartment numbered 2047 due to its proximity, uh, primarily due to its proximity to the room 2046, which is the same room number that he was in when he spent time with Su Li Zhen, the other kind of protagonist of In the Mood for Love. Uh, as he lives there, he kind of spies on, gets to know, and then even gets romantically involved with many of the various, inha various inhabitants of the room 2046 as they come and go. Uh, in his spare time, he writes a long-running science fiction series called 2046. Uh, in this work of fiction, he writes in several of the people that he reflects on from his past, and eventually the uh, some of the events uh, of the story mirror his own life in various ways as well. Uh, 2046 is not only a sequel of sorts to In the Mood for Love, but also 1990's Days of Being Wild. Uh, it features several characters from that film and also references numerous events. Uh, the film features kind of an, an all-star cast, just like Wong Kar Wai kind of hitting the best of notes. Uh, not only Tony Long Chu Wai, um, Maggie Chung is in it briefly, Gong Li is in it, Fei Wong, of course, uh, Zhang Zi is in it. Uh, anybody else we want to shout out while we're... Uh, uh, Takashi uh, Karina Lau. Yes, uh, Kimura as well. Uh, uh, Karina Lau, who played... Uh, Lulu, uh, Mimi from Days of Being Wild returns. The, the, lead, the lead guy. Also, I said I said Takashi Kimura, but it's uh, Takuya Kimura. Excuse me. Yes, Takuya Kimura. Um, so yeah, uh, the, this is a, a film that was kind of playing as uh, one of the uh, kind of 4K restorations. Unfortunately, uh, at least the version that I saw was not a 4K restoration. Uh, it's it rough, I guess. Yeah, it was like 720p, maybe. It was, yeah. Man. yeah. It's it's only available really on Amazon, and it is not uh, kind of stark contrast. I think with with the quality of the. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to talk about watched. that as well. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's that's what I got. So I'm kind of scattered, but hopefully, Jason, that is, lives up to your standards. It does indeed. A fine, fine summary, and I think what I'm realizing is summaries that start as if you're convincing us like your opinion is that this is the plot of the movie are my favorite you were like it's called <laughs> 2046 i i think that's my favorite type of aaron gross we just summary. we just love to put him on a defensive footing right off the bat <laughs> i'm just got, it, gives, I, it gives you something to fight for you know uh peeling peeling back the curtain here but my my quote uh at the beginning was going to be a line uh from the, not actually from the book, but it's going to be a reference to the book 2666, which is a Roberto Bolano book that I like a lot. Uh, but in my Jesus head, Christ. I always say that is 2666. So this film, I, I literally just 2046 is what I've been thinking in my head for pretty much the entire time we've been talking about Wong Kar Wai for the past few weeks. So it's too late to change. I'm in too deep. I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, you can't teach a, you know, an old dog new tricks. Um, anyway, Jason, what do you think about the movie? So, hey, well, I'm caught I'm caught unawares. I've never been thrown to for this before. I always throw to myself and then catch it like. But I think I might have, unfortunately, maybe after this discussion, I'll feel differently. I might have found the weak link for Wong Kar Wai for me. I did not love, love this movie. I definitely saw a lot of things to like about it. And there are things that I'm obviously going to enjoy discussing. But overall, I think. It's like, I'll start with the positives. I believe it's a like fun, good referendum on a lot of Wong Kar Wai's work. You could read a whole lot of what happened in this movie and the characters that play together and the sort of plot elements that come in as sort of him like writing himself in ways, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, it has a lot of that good 
60s vibes uh but it also like rubber bands to the other end of the spectrum where for the first time in at least the movies i've seen of his we're now future casting by decades um beyond the release of the film uh into you know a sort of false future sort of sci-fi um fantasy uh i really enjoyed um obviously all the performances seeing everybody else who has been in these movies before uh just playing you know versions of their characters and and not uh i I, but I, I gotta say, I think, I think a lot of just because it spreads, it's, it's, uh, topping so thin and because it's just so, I don't know, it's very rich with those emotional moments, but it, it's, it's also kind of long by these standards. And I don't know that it really pulls them all together in a way that has, that is incredibly satisfying. Maybe there's a key that I'm just not seeing, uh, but enjoyed, did not love. And maybe this does not benefit from it being the first film I'm watching of his after in the mood for love, which is an undeniable five-star like unassailable film for me. Uh, but like I said, I'm just the first to share my opinion. So I'll let the rest of the crew, starting with Cody, uh, go tell me what he thinks and we'll, uh, and we'll see from there. Sure. Uh, thank you for, for throwing it to me, Jason, by the way, if you throw, uh, the basketball to yourself and catch it yourself, that's, um, I believe that's uh, a travel. Um, I need to bone up on my basketball rules. Um, but uh, just food for thought in case you're playing any pickup during during core, which I hope you're not. Um, but anyway, I, I came away liking this movie more than I thought I would. Not that I came into it intending to dislike it, but the idea of a like a spiritual sequel or even just a, a sequel sequel for any filmmaker, I feel has, uh, you know, like a, a wide potential range of quality. Um, and I wasn't sure what to expect, but I was uh, very pleasantly surprised. It, uh, it started a bit slow for me, admittedly, but I realize after the fact, and this kind of maybe points to what Jason was uh, alluding to that, um, you know, coming off of uh, In the Mood for Love and uh, our discussion on it, um, having that so recently in my head, the intro is sort of an emotional bridge getting us from that movie to this one. Um, So maybe some of it felt redundant or just stuff that I was not as interested in at that time. Um, So I recognize my own experience may color that uh, a little differently. But, you know, we are brought back into uh, a world painted in the ways that we've come to expect Wong Kar Wai to paint his movies um, using architectural imagery, indirect close-ups, and slow motion to communicate that uh, familiar flavor of yearning, I suppose. Uh, The uh, incorporation of the sci-fi story scenes was uh, a big swing that I was also concerned wouldn't connect, but I think it did. Uh, I even got thinking about whether or not this film would actually work better if it just went the dystopian future route for its entirety. Um, That would have been pretty wild. But as a place through which Chow's author could work through his feelings of uh, feeling stuck versus wanting to travel back to a specific era, I think it did what it needed to while also successfully contemporaneously operating out of the 60s. Um, And the sequelness of 2046 is kind of hard to not think about. Um, But I don't think that's a bad thing. I did appreciate how it gestured at this character's previous life, the long lost love being visually and verbally explicit about it only occasionally. Um, Maybe there's something here with how Wong Kar Wai wanted to also originally integrate a version of Chow into Days of Being Wild, but I think the character disconnect we have from In the Mood for Love to 20, uh, excuse me, 2046, uh, I'm going to be doing that a lot, helps uh, frame Chow as many starkly different people over time. And seeing how this iteration of Chow varies so noticeably and so sadly in comparison added to the heaviness of 2046 for me. This is a beautiful movie, but it's also very brutal. Uh, um, And uh, I guess the last thing I'll do here is point to some other works I was reminded of while watching 2046, uh, the almost 
vignette-like and women-centric nature of this movie took me back to eight and a half in some scenes. And there's one scene in particular that planted the scene of energy resembling uh, last year in Marion Bad, and uh, that permeated throughout much of the rest of this movie. Holy as well. shit! Uh, it, uh, the um, the sort of memory motif played a big part, and the more explicit, um, I guess we'd call it a theme that memory sometimes is purely just what we make it based on what we need at that moment. Uh, so I guess all that's to say. I liked 20, God damn it, uh, 2046, 2046, whatever. I liked it a lot. I think it's at least middle of the pack Wonka Y for me, if not higher. And um, despite any happiness I may have left, I might just watch this every year on Christmas Eve, if only just to feel something. Oh my God. I'll, I'll cap it there uh, for now and throw it over to Harry without traveling. Yeah, I'll try not to talk too long. I have a lot of feelings about this movie and... Um... I, I wouldn't say I fall in between you and uh, Cody, Jason, but I, I think I come down closer to Cody. But uh, I, I'm i sort of of a lot of different minds simultaneously, so so maybe I don't have like a, a binary response right to how I feel about it. Um, the, the themes of In the Mood for Love are like very, very meaningful to me. Like we've talked about that at length, right, about how like I think that's one of the best movies ever. Um, I think that that making a sequel to in the mood for love is so audacious that I really appreciate it. Um, from that perspective, uh, I think it's, it's a movie that you don't need a sequel to, which is exactly why you should make a sequel to it. Um, in general, this sort of like understanding and conceptual conceptualization and framing of a person's life is sort of, um, defined by, uh, if not necessarily traumas, then, um, memories that he sees recurring and rhyming, sort of throughout his life, despite how he tries to get away from them. And there's this question of whether he uh, can see the world at all, right? Like at, at the end of uh, In the Mood for Love, we got everything he sees is blurred and indistinct. Now we're seeing these people who sort of like rhyme with or resemble the people he used to know and all of their circumstances sort of become his circumstances. And he's trying to figure out all of that stuff, um, like really deeply personally works for me um, and feels resonant to like, not only talking explicitly about what Wong Kar Wai is doing, which I think this is Wong Kar Wai's most explicit film, which I really love when an artist like really takes themselves to task on what they're setting out to do. Um, but it also just is resonant to me uh, with life in general. Um, so that, that really works for me and I really like it a lot. Um, the thing about it is that I wonder, or I couldn't get over the, the, um, the idea that this might not be a terribly necessary movie, right? Like I, I think that the arc that, um, Chow goes on from the beginning of the movie to the end, I like, I really appreciated it, but I, I got it from in the mood for love, right? Like I sort of understood what Wong Kar Wai was suggesting about people and about the stories we tell about ourselves and what they mean. Um, almost without the need to make it explicit. Like I, in my mind, this is a movie, I guess, to put my cards on the table about Chow coming to take ownership over that story and come to understand how he was in charge of it all along and how he was making it something to himself. I feel like the fact that he made the movie in the mood for love was about that already. And so like, like giving it this, this more explicit framing in the form of like the train and in the form of the science fiction story that he himself is writing. Um, as you said, Jason, as like a, an author stand in, like, I feel like I, I already understood that, that the yearning that we generate for ourselves is something we do for ourselves, which is sort of the, um, the over under on this movie, although it's doing a lot of things right. Um, which is all to say that like, I, 
this movie feels weirdly defensive and it feels weirdly like uh um Wong Kar Wai trying to reclaim the um the story that he was trying to tell, which is sort of ironic, right? Um, maybe because In the Mood for Love was so popular and maybe he was frustrated about the ways it was popular. We talked about that a little bit last time. Um, but that's that's all interesting. Uh, I would say that, that finally the only other um, problem, if you can call it that, is just that like – it is brutal to compare this movie to in the mood for love, right? Because I think in the mood for love is one of the most beautifully and meticulously shot movies ever. And I don't know if it was just because of my, um, the, the poor quality of the Amazon version I watched, but like this movie just is not as tight, right? Like it's longer. It feels in many ways like Wong Kar Wai's prestige television show. Um, I think in, in some ways it would work better that way. Um, and, uh, that carries over in my mind to the cinematography and the framing, um, which is just not as tight and is a little bit too repetitive or not repetitive, but, but sort of like, like resonant both in ways that it, uh, makes sense thematically for it to be, but also resonant in the sense that like, we've seen this before, I guess. Um, I don't think this movie is a retread, but I think there's a, there's a, um, threat of that i guess so um ups and downs um ultimately just because like i'm such a sucker for this shit like more wong kar wai and like meta wong kar wai is always going to work for me um i'm you know cody and i talked about this a little bit i'm a huge cowboy bebop fan and i think this is the most cowboy bebop movie ever made uh and uh so i i like it a, a whole lot um but i'm super interested in talking through it yeah um I, I think it's uh it's kind of hard for me to separate this film from my viewing experience. I know we already talked about the 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 lack of the ability for us to watch the the 4K restoration. I wish I had done that. Um, hopefully that gets some sort of a. What is there plans to get like wider releases for those 4K restorations? Is that eventually coming to Criterion was, or I don't even know if 2046 was one of the restored movies, was it? I, I want to say it will be part of the long-awaited Wong Kar Wai box set, but I can check on that. Okay. I know it wasn't part of the or it wasn't part of the Trilons watch. It's, okay. Well, they, they are playing it. They are playing. They are. It. They will be playing it. That's their intent, right? It was not part of the the virtual right. cinema right. look, right. but, but it, and it is it is going to be in the long-awaited Wong Kar Wai box set from Criterion. Okay. All right, well, I'm going to assume there is a much better version out there that I right. maybe watch yeah. in some manner. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I don't think it's just that, though. I think that this is a, like a weirdly hard film to watch uh, in the manner that I watch films in quarantine. You know, this is we don't talk about this too much, but like, you know, quarantine does impact how we see these films, not just the fact that we're not seeing them in the Trilon, but, um, you know. I, I found my mind kind of wandering quite a bit during this film. Uh, it's also a longer movie than that's than super understandable. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm trying not to knock the film for that. Uh, but I, I do think that it, there are certain things that it does feel like partly the film's fault, right? Like I think that it is, as Harry kind of touched on, it is not as tightly, you know, kind of bound together as Wong Kar Wai's other films. It doesn't feel entirely focused. I don't think um, there were, three cinematographers on this. I mean, not just, uh, not just Doyle who, who worked on a bunch of other uh, Wong Kar Wai films, but two other cinematographers as well. I mean, that, that was the, the case for in the mood for love, which had two different cinematographers. Um, it's a case for a lot of films. Um, but 
there is something about this that does feel slightly unfocused in in regard to some of his other films or in comparison to. Um, I think that this movie feels kind of like Wong Kar Wai doing his greatest hits in a way. Uh, this this movie is incredibly rewarding. Uh, I think if you're a Wong Kar Wai fan, if you've seen all oh my god, movies. yeah, it's like it's like uh, Wong Kar Wai's Metal Gear Solid Four, right? Where like if you haven't seen the other Wong Kar Wai movies, like what are you doing here, right? Like uh, you're not going to understand any of this shit. Metal Gear Solid Four is a, a very bad video game, right? Uh, the section of 2046, <laughs> where, where they, where they yeah. were stuck in Estonia for like nine hours, and it's just yeah, yeah. cutscenes. That that was that was a little rough, I gotta say. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, all this is just to say that like uh, it seems to be hitting a lot of the same notes. Uh, it seems to be uh, it ties into a lot of his familiar motifs and visuals. Right, there's so many references, not just to you know actual characters who are are kind of brought up here and there, uh, but even specific shots. Right. Uh, characters' hands touching uh, in kind of similar manners. The fact that a character wears uh, the same kind of dresses that a character in another film wore. Um, it feels like a film that, that is intended to be very rewarding uh, for Wong Kar Wai fans. Uh, but it also doesn't feel like his earlier films, right? Like it doesn't feel as vibey. Something that Harry touched on was the fact that... Um, it doesn't feel kind of as grounded, I think, as something like In the Mood for Love, which is so small in scope uh, and so specific. And it's what it's it, what it's looking at and, and how the camera is moving to show that. Uh, I don't think this film is really doing that. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, oh. Yeah, go go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that, that that's a super interesting point to bring up, right? Because, like, I'm, again, of two minds about that, right? Where, like, uh, I think that the, like, the, like, hyper-glossy unreality of this movie, particularly in the first act, is, like, certainly intentional, right? Like, I even think that the the cheesiness and the unreality and the like Star Trek 1960s <laughs> sci-fi yeah. uh, is, is all very intentional, Um but you're you're right. It does have the effect of like there is absolutely no sense of place in this movie, and like that is again the point, right? Like, like yeah. the, the point is that that these characters like like time and place is is totally incidental to them because of who they are and where they are. But um, it is it is tough, right? Especially coming off the cusp of uh, in the mood for love, where that was so important to the idea of the movie. Um, the contrast is fascinating, but it is a contrast. Yeah. And I think that that all comes if I'm trying to I've been like meandering a bit here, but I guess my, my thoughts are very meandering uh, because I think that the film is also kind of meandering. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think this movie has often been described as like Wong Kar Wai doing this longer, stretched out, self-referential uh, uh you know, kind of look at his previous films. I do agree with that, but it doesn't feel sprawling. I think even given the fact that there's, you know, long sequences of this film that are kind of science fiction and this kind of future alternate reality fiction universe. Um, I guess I'm trying to say that my thoughts are kind of sprawling. Uh, I think I enjoyed this film, but I think I would put it probably pretty low at the bottom of, uh, you know, my favorites of his. Um, so I'm trying to sum it up, but I enjoyed this watch. Uh, I think that a lot of the problems uh, are due to the film and a lot of the problems are due to uh, just the ways that I unfortunately watch films in quarantine. But yeah, I, I think that's pretty fair. And I, I'm really uh, I, I, more happy than normal that I got to hear the perspectives of, of you three. And I think there are some things I'm still wrestling with. I think by all measures, this is a, a type or, or like style of movie that I too would also typically feel unfocused 
uh, uh, while watching, there was there was some reason, and again, I'm I'm still trying to grapple with this, but something about the way in which, and we've kind of gestured at it, the ways in which this movie repurposes and recontextualizes the existing uh, characters and actors and spaces um, and like alleyways, like in mm-hmm. ways that are like not explicitly the same as in the mood for love, but are somewhat similar, almost like we're watching like a, a, a ghost film living in the shadow of this movie in so much as it also being like Holy a, shit. A ghost, an almost literal extension of that work. But the, I, I guess the ways in which Wong Kar Wai made his subtext text was something that I really vibed with. Um, this time I, for some reason, had no trouble accepting this movie for what it was again, in ways that I maybe would have balked at in the past. And like some specific moments, um, I guess shots specifically of like characters being repurposed. Um, the shot of Gong Li, once she, uh, announces her name as Suli Zen, like the shot of her is almost literally the shot of the criterion cover of in the mood for love. And like yeah, dude. that, that shot lingered on her for like a full five seconds. And I was like, Oh fuck. It's it, it, she's going to say, she's really like, And like that, that like, it's again, very, very much Wonka white kind of wearing his shit on his sleeve. At but one point I, they, at one point they literally cut to the empty alleyway where they yes. conducted their first affair. It was like being stabbed in the stomach, like right in the, for just like a second. And then it cuts back to the movie, but like, they just cut to the empty alleyway from in the mood for love. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it was just like, that was like being slapped in the face out of nowhere. <laughs> No, for sure. Um, I felt slapped as well. I the and I I've kind of gone on here, but there was the one other one that I wanted to point out because it was uh, legitimately spooky. I like it jarred me, uh, like out of my skin. The um, uh, in in the scene following when Chow gets half of his mustache shaved, there's a shot of him from the side profile of him where you can't see the mustache at all, and it's literally just him with a bare face. But it's evocative of the version of Chow that existed in in the exactly. movie for love, um, and, and it's uh, this like very playful but also brutal reminder of like the the uh, I don't know the the extensive versions and and shades of of this person. So I I don't know, not so much being defensive of myself or like my take of, of this movie, but just kind of trying to paint in the lines of this is what I got from it. I'm still trying to figure out why. Um, but there's a lot of shit here that I really loved, man. I'm rocking with it. So hardcore, like you are so winning me over. I just like, this is maybe one car saddest movie. And that's like really, really saying something. Yes. And like, I oh, can yeah. totally fuck with that. Right. I don't know. The hand, the hand still, the, the, the hand is hand. very, very sad. Yes. <laughs> in, in a slightly comical manner, I guess is what I'll say. This is a, Yes, this is a very sad movie. I think that the one thing, not to like challenge uh, the the two people here that really love this movie, but one thing that I really had an issue with that I'm still kind of trying to square in my mind is I I think that this movie, uh, I think that the handling of uh, Tony Lung Chu Wai's character, specifically as a sequel to in the mood for love feels it feels like it's kind of letting down that character in a way i i don't know if anybody else agrees with me on this but i think the contrast 
between those two characters. And, and with the understanding that there is kind of this large gulf of time, this is a character that I think has kind of turned to, you know, uh, gambling and womanizing uh, and, and kind of being a, just a general shit. Uh, I think that, you know, it it's showing that that is is. Uh, what has happened to this character in this absence of this kind of meaningful relationship that he had uh, in the past. But I, it, did anybody else feel that it, like it kind of lets down? Like, I, I do think that in the mood for love is a great movie. I think that it maybe looks slightly worse after watching this film and kind of seeing what this character got up to in the future. I don't know if anybody, I don't know, maybe that's heresy or something. No, I, I think that I agree with you and it's not a bug, it's a feature, right? Which is like, like maybe the frustrating, like obvious response that I would have to this. But like, I think that this movie is explicitly about being painful because it wants to take in the mood for love away from you. Like that, that is part of what it's doing is being like, after, after the end, you have to go on living. And if you don't do something about that you're actually going to become this other thing that becomes uh somebody who uses your sort of trauma and your story as an excuse to hurt people i mean like like zhang ziyi uh who's sort of like the sad heart of this movie in my mind she's like a victim of chow's uh like oversized like um self-pity right is that like he he is he is driven by this this idea of unrequited or um, this question of unrequited love that has defined his life. But all of a sudden he's using it as an excuse to womanize. And like in the process, he is, he is perpetuating this unending unbroken cycle where he is now subjecting people to the same thing that he thinks happened to him. Right. And what's so funny about that is it's not even really true. Right. Like uh, a really funny, really weird thing that happens at the beginning of this movie. And I'm sorry to go on so long, but um, is that uh, he, he like reframes what in the mood for love was in like a very human way where like all of a sudden his question becomes, did she ever really love me? Which is like heartbreakingly human that like you would think that, but like that was never my question. Right. I don't know how you watch in the mood for love and think, I don't know if she ever actually felt that way about Chow. Right. Like that's, that is not what anybody except for Chow would take away from that. Yeah. And, but I, 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 sorry to cut in, but I, I, yeah, it's cool. Why Chow, I, I think that is uh, coherent with the character of Chow for in the mood for love. There was never any doubt in my mind as an audience member watching in the mood for love that those two characters. Uh, right. Exactly. They love whoever you want, but like, I understood that they, they felt an uh, intense attraction uh, to each other, and that that is something that I understand, but I do understand why Chow would question that and would linger on it, though. Right. You know oh, yeah. I mean, I mean it, it's the defining thing of his life, right? But the the problem is that when you let that happen, and when you don't take ownership of it, uh, and it becomes something that that uh, that does not just live in you, it's it becomes something that is painful uh, to others. That that sort of perpetuates the same pain that you had inflicted on you. Aaron? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I think that, that, and I think this maybe is just a, a difference in taste, but I, I think that one of the issues that I kind of have with that is that I, I do, I don't know. I think there's a lot of examples of this kind of a thing, right? Which is like a, a, a kind of a brilliant creator, filmmaker, uh, writer, uh, musician, whatever, uh, kind of doing some sort of a, a sequel 
or commentary upon like a past great work. And I think that like nine times out of 10, that comes off pretty disappointing for various reasons. Um, and I, I, I think that there is like, it's like a very annoying thing I have when like artists try and recontextualize something from like so long ago. I mean, this is like a personal hangup, but like it, specifically within the mood for love, I, I think that it would not be unfair to say that I probably vibe with Wong Kar Wai films, probably the least out of anyone on this podcast. Like, I think I like them quite a bit and I do, um, but I don't really get terribly swept in with like kind of the, a lot of the emotions of them or the vibes. Maybe I'm a broken human being. Um, no, I often, think it's because you've, you've had like one big successful relationship. You haven't been <laughs> crushed by, I, uh, I need to be yeah. crushed underfoot in order to truly uh, connect with what he's saying. But like a, a lot of my appreciation for Wong Kar Wai films is I think slightly at a distance, but I do think that there is something to me very meaningful and beautiful about the end of in the mood for love. That is also something that is kind of quiet and, uh, unassuming and just kind of very specific. And it feels like this attempt to kind of blow it up into something much greater than that. It feels kind of wrong to me. And I don't know whether that's something that's maybe just personal opinion. Maybe that's something wrong with how I was watching in the mood for love. But I think that there is, there's a point where you can kind of iterate on something or you can comment on something too much when it feels like you kind of should have left it. And even though I do think this movie is a good movie, I think that I do get that like feeling in the back of my brain uh, as I was watching it, that I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like, I that was. I'm sorry to. I, you can go ahead, Jason, in just a second. But I would just like to say real quick, like, I don't think that that's a problem that you have, right? I mean, that's what I said at the at the top with my thoughts. Is that like, I don't know if this is a necessary, quote unquote, necessary movie, whatever that means, right? Because I I feel like I took away everything that this movie says about. Um, ownership and agency over your story from the end of in the mood for love and from the fact that he made that movie. So I, I I'm like kind of with you, but I don't know, maybe I sensibility wise, like this is sort of masochistic, I guess, but like, I actually really love the idea that like, like one car, Wai came back to take away this thing from you. Right. And be like, you know what? Like Chow, that guy you love, that guy that, uh, that's so defined by this, this unattainable love, like, watch what happens when he has to actually keep living his life. Right. Because it's like, it's, Oh, it's so easy to like, to leave off um, in Angkor uh, Wat, the, the temple, but like, look what happens when he has to go on. It turns out he ends up hurting a bunch of people uh, with his own sort of like pathetic self-pity. Right. And like, there's, there's something so, so human and so true. And so um, fucking brutal about that. Right. And, and like, it's, it's such a uh, stab um, because it, it's taking away the very thing that like the, the beauty of that first movie and, and being like, well, you, now you have to deal with it. You know, I, I, could, I just gotta say, I'm not, so I don't know if I was watching it wrong or if I, you know, if my mind just doesn't automatically go there when I think of this film as like a spiritual or direct sequel to, you know, in the mood for love and, and following days of being wild, but like nothing, you know, the, the, the legacy and basically the movie itself of in the mood for love hang like loom very large over uh, 2046 in both like very broad and very specific ways you know similar character names uh, a continuing protagonist um you know direct quotations all that kind of stuff but i did not get like the feeling from that aaron was describing of like learning that this person went on to be you know to continue to be kind of shitty uh and to really become you know a womanizer and uh you know whatever a, a degenerate gambler in many ways but you know playboy um 
that didn't hit me as strong. Neither did the, you know, Wong Kar Wai took something from me feeling that Harry is sort of reveling in. Neither of those really hit me too strongly, but they are making me like the discussion here is making me think of like the lens through which we watched the movie as I think to just put a finer point on what I was thinking at the top was like, that is where I think I have the hardest time with this movie, not because of the character himself or uh, because of the way that he interacts with other people necessarily, but because in other Wong Kar Wai movies, we've had, you know, sort of varying perspectives from, you know, multiple people. Uh, and in a lot of these movies, it's like, you know, parallel storylines that only intersect in the, you know, most thematic or broad of ways. In this movie, it's like we we are so focused on specifically him, specifically Chow, that because there's one point of view and because it's so loaded with so many emotional moments and uh, I guess like really uh, Aaron was mentioning at the top that there are long stretches of this movie that are just like, you know, strong gut punches, especially if you've seen the movies that have preceded this. I don't think that those are stronger for having been for viewing them through one perspective and for that matter having, excuse me, viewing them for the perspective of that we've already seen in another movie. I don't think that that makes it stronger. I think it like tended to drag the movie down a little bit in my way, just in my mind, just from a pure as I was watching it perspective, you know, in the story, I can read a summary and think, yeah, all these things connect. But in the moment, it really like the form kind of brought down the function in ways for me. Sure. It, it was so defined by being a sequel. Like it, it couldn't help to be, I, Cody said something that, that completely lit my mind on fire, which is that this is like a, this is like the ghost of in the mood for love, right? Like it's like the phantom that follows in its uh, footsteps. Um, much like uh, Suli Zen was at the end of In the Mood for Lover in this movie, right? And like, I think that's a valid criticism. I just wonder if it's not a feature, you know? But like, it, whether or not it's a feature doesn't matter if it like if it detracted from your experience. Sure, you know, it, it's not like it ruins the movie for me or anything. But like, I think that some of these things, either you know, functionally, if that becomes excuse me, formally, if that makes it a shorter movie, or if we have multiple perspectives, multiple narrators, I wonder if some of that would have made it land a little bit stronger. But it seems like Cody's mind is ablaze with thoughts. Uh, I don't know about a blaze, maybe a small tinder, but I, I am glad that we got into this and I, spoilers, I have nothing concrete to offer other than, I guess, support for the fact that that's something I thought about too. And it's without getting too much into the weeds about it, because I know there are some people here that haven't seen these movies, but the before trilogy, that was a question I had for myself after rewatching, um, before sunset uh at some point in the past year like would this movie be stronger um if it didn't have the added context of having come Ooh. after this other movie um and again i i don't know if there is an answer to that it might be kind of as we've alluded to a few times it might just be entirely dependent on taste but the the sort of hinting at this previous uh relationship this previous life um you know maybe that would have made certain things in 2046 sing a little bit better. Um, I, I think having a little bit of mystery to it and and it honestly, it could have even just come down to this movie. Uh, I wasn't aware of this movie in 2004. So maybe the marketing was a certain way. Um, but you know, anything steering clear of like, this is a sequel to in the mood for love. Uh, the tagline I'm seeing on letterboxd is, are you still in the mood for love? Which if that, <laughs> if that, if that was the tagline in 2004, then uh, audiences were certainly thinking a, a, a certain way about it. I'm sure. But if you strip that away and honestly, like we, we've seen Wonka, Wai do this before he has his own 
sort of cinematic universe you can still keep these faint threads between these characters you can have them hold hold the the same names um you know there are other filmmakers that that do that sort of stuff keep these things sort of spiritually linked between works without necessarily making them explicit i too would be curious if 2046 would have been perceived differently by us or by you know the masses if it weren't billed and kind of created around the idea that this is something that in many ways is following this other movie of mine from four years ago uh but i i admittedly don't know for sure i mean that's the i think that the thing we're talking around is is just like the nature of sequels i mean like i i'm gonna just say that all of my this is one car wise blank but like i said it was metal gear solid 4 before i don't think that's true i think it's metal gear solid 2 i also think it's it's dark souls 2 if we want to keep the video game metaphor going the best thing that uh, Cody, you said something so brilliant, which is also that like this is so clearly Wong Kar Wai's uh, Before Sunset, which um, I'm a maybe a psychopath, but that might be my favorite of the three Before Trilogy movies. I think um, that's a good take. And it like it's because it's so that is a movie that is explicitly about sequels, right? Just like this movie is about a sequel. Like I don't know how well this movie stands on its own. If you could get anything out of it, like I wouldn't suggest like. And and usually I'm I'm anti this, but like I think everyone in the world before they watch this movie should watch In the Mood for Love. Like, what are you doing if you don't? Right? Um, at the very least, like I would also suggest you watch Chunking Express and Days of Being Wild and Happy Together and all of other the Wong Kar Wai movies that we watch. Um, that is a problem, maybe in the sense that like it is like fundamentally tying the destiny of this movie to another movie. I don't think that's a problem for me, just because like that that um constructive reality or like theme that builds on itself is like you can say something so powerful and so um nuanced and um constructed with with that so i guess i like it and the the um the question i guess i wanted to pose to jason was that um do you feel like um zhang uh yizi's character um Sorry, excuse me, Zhang Ziyi, uh, Bai Ling. Do you feel like she offered a different perspective? Because to me, that was sort of the A plot of this story once it really got going. Of the the three women that that come into um, Chow's life, hers is like certainly the longest arc, right? Um, it's it's the one that uh, that really we spend most of the time with, and she feels like the most fleshed out character um, compared to him. And I felt like uh, that was what really made it possible for me to latch on to something um, and, and, and sort of like offered a referendum on the idea that of what this movie was. So I guess I wanted to talk about that a little bit. So the question is, did Zhang Ziyu's character by Ling provide another like sort of perspective or lens through which to see what's going on in the movie? Like, enough? yeah. And, and, and like, did it, did it become a story of itself rather than just a sequel, I guess is, is more briefly what I mean. Right. Because that was sort yeah, of your um, problem with it. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, when watching this movie again, maybe I was just doing something wrong. I didn't get huge sequel vibes. I recognized names and events and themes, but you know, in the way that most Wong Kar Wai films are linked by theme, 
that's sort of how I was treating this movie was like, oh, so we're getting the themes of, you know, love at a distance. We're getting the themes of time and place being the same thing. Uh, we're getting the, the themes of, you know, not quite completing or consummating, you know, a full relationship beyond physical or emotional touch. You know, when it's tied to those things, I sort of, you know, threw up the uh, the concerns of, is this a sequel into the, into the giant cloud that is Wong Kar Wai's themes? And said, okay, yeah, well, it is it is a sequel in the same way that any of these movies are sequels. Um, and then, you know, each time that a reference was made or that the character's name is called up or that he's uh, talking about uh, Shu Li Jing and, you know, what the events of the previous movie, I had sort of relegated those just because I was more interested in pursuing, in I guess, pursuing, yeah, the movie as um, as a continuation of those themes than a continuation of that story, if that means anything. So sure. with, with that in mind, uh, Zhang Ziyi's character by Ling, didn't I, I guess just because she's not uh how do i say this it's still very much chow's interactions with her that build the story not necessarily what she wants or expects you know it is the most traditionally like uh one car wide relationship in this movie is like the you know, one sees it as somewhat transactional the other is more involved uh until they you know sort of kind of get to a midway point of understanding each other, but not quite in this movie. Um, I, I think that just because it is not enough of a focus, maybe because it's not like you called it the a plot and that's fair, but, uh, you know, screen time aside, I don't know how much deeper that really became than his relationships with other characters in the movie. Uh, you know, sort of we're, we're given, you know, she comes back into his life and she ends up being, you know, uh, an illuminating force when she moves back into the apartment building and, you know, uh, she has read 2047. Uh, I just don't know that like it provides enough of that, you know, I feel like I'm seeing a narrow and very, very long hallway rather than like, you know, the branching paths that lead to the same point uh, in, in the end that I've expected from Wong Kar Wai's movies. I don't, I think maybe like you said, I think it is like a limiter of it being a sequel. Now that I think about it that way, that, we have to see these things through this character because he's the established one because he is uh what we know because he is a like a presence we can predict and expect that is all to say i don't think so when i think about you know uh ji zhang's character in this movie and sort of like especially as compared to other um the other uh female leads in this movie i don't i don't think that that really assuages a lot of those concerns of did we bank too much into this one character's perspective into this one character's story to make any of the like relationships amount around it meaningful again like i shouldn't say that i found nothing uh, of you know nothing redeeming about this movie it's still a wonderful movie and still uh better than you know most romance movies maybe ever and i really like the concept of you know paralleling 1960s events through a sci-fi lens uh, casting into the future. I, I really liked that. I hope we can talk more about sure. that. Um, but I don't think, I don't think that like narratively, if it really compressed enough of that into Zhang Ji's character, I keep saying that, uh, yeah, Zhang's no, character totally to like, fair. to make super like rich or meaningful for me. Okay. I see. Um, and does anybody else want to speak to that before I go on? Um, okay. Well, I, I think I understand that. And I think that, we're just I, we're talking about the same thing we were talking about before because I actually I definitely agree with you right the the thing about it is that I guess 
having perceived this more as a sequel or being maybe more comfortable with seeing this as an extension of the ideas or a referendum on the ideas presented in um, in The Mood for Love made me more prepared to meet it on its terms, which it sounds like maybe, Cody, you were as well. Um, but I just like – I I found the Bai Ling story like such an essential um, and mature uh, expansion on Wong Kar Wai's ideas um, and, and so – brutal right because like like we had been talking about the way that that this movie fails its its character chow right like i think that specifically the fact that we see chow treating another woman this way treating a relationship this way when we know the depth of the feeling that he had and once possessed is what makes this such a terrible thing right like like beyond the fact that he's just a a awful to to buy Ling and, and really like ruins her, right? But like he literally like becomes the one for her. Um and and by force and in my mind he, he does it to like um to to reclaim control over the the um the power that that his own twenty forty six, his own two hundred four six, had over him, right? Like that first relationship is is about the resentment that he feels toward being so aggrieved by this relationship that he can't get over. That he's trying to subject somebody else to something like it in order to reclaim power, right? Like their power okay. dynamic in this movie is so interesting to me because, like, they have this back and forth where they're both trying to prove to one another that this relationship doesn't mean anything to them. And that's, and is that where we get like the, they're going to pay each other $10 when they see yeah, each other for sex? Exactly. Well, and, and she had a, a 2046 of her own when it started. Right. And so like, they are sort of perfectly suited for one another because she wanted to go to Singapore. She had this very, um, if I was in LA, I would be safe and warm sort of relationship with Singapore. Um, and, <laughs> and that made it possible for him to sort of like, and, and he was trying to defeat that in her. He, he's trying to become important to her over that. Right. And he succeeds. And that, that's like the, the horror of it is that like, he, he's trying to, I mean, like, like in my mind, this movie is about like, uh, the, the, Opening bookend is um, nobody's ever escaped from 2046. I'm going to be the first, right? He's talking about his protagonist. He's clearly talking about himself. In my mind, this is about Chow trying to escape from 2046 in other relationships and other women. He's trying to find a way out. And through the course of the movie, through the course of his relationship with these three women, he comes to realize that actually he'd been looking to reconstruct his own 2046 again, right? Like with Fei Wong's character, he, he does like a, a sort of creepy mock, um, recreation of the martial arts novel, um, collaboration that he had with, uh, um, Sue, uh, in the end, he ends up falling for another woman with the same name. And that's what finally wakes him up. Um, that was the one scene that didn't really work for me is that when he actually had to say like, Oh, I never thought I would run into another uh, Suli Zen. I guess I had been trying to recreate that relationship all along. Uh, that didn't work for me because it was like, yeah, no shit, dog. Like, what do you think this movie has been about? Like, I it was frustrating to me in the, in a similar sense that this movie is frustrating, where it's like Wong Kar Wai. Like, you can give me a little bit little bit of credit, right? Like, you don't have to spell out that shit about Chow. Like, I know. Like, we're here with you. We see it. Um, but anyway, and like. That's what makes the ending book book note so powerful, right? Is that this movie ends on the note of um, 
that same that same opening narration, nobody ever makes it out of 2046. The end, right? He doesn't say, I made it out. Nobody makes it out. The, the difference is that he comes to see it and take ownership through his art, the same way that Wong Kar Wai is taking ownership of his own yearning through the art, right? But I, I think that the reason why the um, the uh, Bai Lei Ling story works for me so well is because it, it shows the, like, this movie is about the, like, tragedy of not taking ownership of that, is it, it becomes an excuse to hurt, right? To, it, it becomes something else. It becomes something really ugly. So, like, his... I guess that form of completion of consummation, I, I keep using that word. Um, he never, <laughs> he never really gets to two Oh four six, you know, literally in the story or in, or, you know, theory, uh, thematically um, is that, uh, is that like, is the manifestation of that where he says like, he has to give up on, and I'm forgetting Fei Wong's character's name, but um, is that like, at, at some point he realizes that he has to give up that, you know, uh, one two two four one two two five um are colder than uh you know the are than the rest of the days of the trip therefore um you know people huddle together on the train for warmth and he realizes that he needs to you know be an accessory to that that he needs to give up performing uh you know to a specific end with fei wong's character is that like is that a step toward that then is like his increasing awareness of what it act will actually mean for him to complete something in that respect, or is it going to be, or is it, uh, or is that like a completely unrelated theme? I guess. I would be really interested in everybody else's thoughts, but I did read it as character growth, right? Like I, I read it as like the, the child that we saw even at the beginning of this movie would try to do what he did to, um, uh, to Bai Ling again, where like he, he would, he would try to, um, recreate his own tragedy, uh, with Sue, um, using, um, her using Wang Jin Wen. And instead he recognizes the differences and lets her pursue her own story and her own love. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that was very affecting to me. Um, and, worked well for me right like i think particularly that that metaphor um that the the android is slowly um her responses are becoming slower and so it's like they're not in the same time because it takes her so long to respond and he keeps telling her that he loves her and wants her to go come away with him and she doesn't respond and he he's trying to figure out why that was like wow like that completely blew me away and and i really liked that and then of course because he doesn't hear that response he comes up with his own reasons why she might not be responding oh she doesn't love me oh she doesn't this that it's it's because she didn't hear me whatever um and in the end he has to come up with he has to generate his own reason why and he he the reason he comes up with is she's in love with someone else she has her own reasons for wanting to stay here or wanting to leave uh, and they don't have anything to do with me. He stops projecting his own tragedies onto other people and allows them to be people with their own stories. And in the process, he takes ownership of his own story, right? Um, that was, to me, the arc that Chow goes on in this movie and eventually becomes something like the person that he was at the end of In the Mood for Love, um, though he might never get back to that person. Right. Yeah, and I, that might almost be pointed because I, I like that's the I want to say the last line of the the film through an inner title like nobody has ever come back um adding to right. the sort of grimness of it um but yeah I, I think 
just echoing Harry's thoughts, I do think the um, like Chow sort of nudging Wang Jingwen to place that phone call instead of, I think as he sort of puts it, like taking advantage of the situation for his own means is like meant as a right a deliberate step forward in in his arc. The um, I really like what you said, Harry, about the um, in the like the sci-fi. Uh, version of this narrative um the idea of the passenger and the cyborg operating um on on different sort of timelines just because of how how they are and and how they're programmed yeah and to an extension like that's kind of what this movie is right like we see chow we know what his his destination needs to be and we know like we can see very early on the type of person he's become and he like he, he is not necessarily physically abusive in these relationships but he is you know maybe emotionally emotionally, yeah yeah, abusive and manipulative um as a way of trying to reconstruct something and like in the meantime he's going through that arc and it's it's a painfully slow arc to get um to where he needs just like go ahead i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but like it's it's painful because we understand it right from the beginning right to the point where it's frustrating that he doesn't Right, exactly. And in a certain way, he like he's operating on a different wavelength or a different timeline from the rest of these these women that he comes into contact with. Like the, their arcs take place in relatively abbrevi- abbreviated time frames, you know, roughly in half hour chunks of the movie. Um there's some play with with temporality and linear, linearity, so it's not as you know as as compact and easy to explain as that. But you know, it takes Chow the you know two hours and eight minutes to to reach a certain point that those he you know these women that he's uh, like having these relationships with come to in like a, a microscopic period, uh, relatively speaking. So I maybe reading too far into the the parallels between that and the like the sci fi version of this plot line but i i don't know that like that stands out to me more now that you kind of mention it that way yeah no that that's really well said and like it's not even just a parallel with um the sci-fi story it's also a parallel with like a bunch of other Wong Kar Wai movies right like that whole like um being in your own wavelength and, and being sort of like separated by strange uh time space and the way that those things intersect is like straight out of Chungking Express right like he he becomes the cop that he was in Chunking Express, where he's so trapped in his own mind, in his own memories, that he can't see what he's doing, right? The difference is that, whereas in, the, in that movie, he sort of became a non-entity, um, in this movie, he is more explicitly hurting people, right? Um, it's, it's, this is like, this is Wong Kar Wai talking about what the stories are right which is why it's so appropriate in my mind that all of these stories rhyme that this is also kind of a sequel to chungking express it's kind of a sequel to uh in the mood for love it's kind of a sequel to um days of being wild i mean just like the way that everything um chow sees is blurred and indistinct it all sort of swirls together right like i um it is it is explicitly clear that um that his editor, I can't remember his editor's name, but like that is the same editor from uh, In the Mood for Love that's brought up. But like there's a sense in which it doesn't matter, right? It's like that could just be that guy. Um, he's doing sort of a, and I hate, I always say this, but he's doing sort of a David Lynch thing where like like casting an actor in a certain role uh, like suggests something about the the sort of like 
like spiritual placement of that actor, right? Like, like Maddie, uh, looking exactly like Laura in Twin Peaks, um, and, and stuff like that. It's like, is, is that Faye Wong character the same character that, uh, she was in Chungking Express? Like, obviously not because the time, it doesn't work out, but does it matter? Right? Like, is, is Chow the same character he was in Chungking Express? Yes and no right it's like these are these are character archetypes who are meeting and separating through time and space and all of those things sort of recur because that's what it feels like to be a, a person especially like a, a traumatized person a yearning person is that all of these things sort of like rhyme in these haunting sort of recurring recursive ways um and that is the um the cowboy bebop reference i brought up by the way is that like i think that that chow is like the spike spiegel uh where like everything hell he yeah sees, everything he sees like rhymes and it's like all sort of like the same tragedy that is playing out um at different points in the same sort of circle that continues without breaking <laughs> i think i need you to run through the after the pod run through the the cowboy bebop comparison with me i think we'll we'll I, i'm curious but jason yeah at- after the pod, where where we're not discussing anything, go through now. I was going to pivot. But I've just when Harry said that earlier, I was like, my eyebrow did like a, you know. And well, like, is is there is there a simple way to boil that down? Uh, I would just say that, like, like the thing about Spike in in Cowboy Bebop is that, like, he his life is like this eternal recursion, right? In the like Nietzschean sense where like everything he sees seems to be playing out the same way over and over again. Um, and it, it's because like, he can't get over his original lost love in his original lost story. Uh, he thinks he's, he's dead and like in hell and replaying the same thing over and over again. Um, even the very first episode of cowboy bebop plays out that way. Right. Where like, it's never quite the same, but the, the players are always similar and the story always ends the same way. It's like everything rhymes in that sort of haunting way. And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about how this movie is like it is that like, um, like Chow is so haunted by his 2046 that he sees it in everything, right? Like he literally sees the number everywhere in the same way that Spike sees Julia everywhere and sees Vicious everywhere. And uh, just like in Cowboy Bebop, like the way he gets over that is by having these new experiences, right? That, that teach him that actually like things might all not be the same. There might actually be other people that still exist in this world beyond me. Um, they actually like, they have like very similar character arcs, right? Like Spike goes to finally confront his story to find out if, if he's alive spoilers for cowboy bebop, I guess. And Chow comes to realize that, uh, the reason why he was reading his own sort of tragedy, um, recurring into everything had more to do with him than it did to do, than it had to do with life that like in fact he is the writer of 2046 the the reason he can't leave the train is because he's written the train for himself right so it's about taking ownership over your own sort of time is a flat circle-ness and uh and realizing your the part that you play in that okay so that clears okay, up are we satisfied I'm, I'm, i think i think that's good I yeah, like, I feel, I've, yeah, I feel like I feel like you could go further, but assuming that not everybody who's listened to this has has seen Cowboy Bebop, yeah, maybe there's a wiser use. I have a big gun, but other than that, I think I'm yeah, with you on the computer. yeah. It'd be, it'd be nice if Chow had a big gun. 
you guys, I'm feeling so fucking powerful right now. Like we got to <laughs> put the put the weeb hat on like never before. Like I'm just engorged. You, yeah, you are absolutely engorged. Um, Super Saiyan. <laughs> I was about to say KO Ken times ten over here. The uh, the concepts that we were talking that Harry was talking about before um, with respect to sort of what what the character is remembering, what he's learning uh, with each new uh, relationship and with each novel experience. It was reminding me of something that Cody said in his at the top when he said that memory is what we make it based on what we need. Um, care to apply that, Cody, to the concept of two hundred four six as sort of a place where people go to, you know, regain old memories? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I can maybe spell out specifically the um, the scene which first planted that seed in my head was. Um, the scene in which I think it was Chow was uh, conversing with the reincarnated character Lulu slash Mimi in like the dialogue they have about like, you know, I was an old boyfriend of yours. And she was like, oh, really, were you? And then like <laughs> the light switch flipped in my head of like, you know, maybe to maybe to some extent it doesn't matter. Oh, like <laughs> this is like that one movie and uh, theme that that I love where it's and it's been brought up here as well. This whole like whether or not it happened, does it actually matter? Like in this situation, like if it suits each of them for them to have been with each other in a past life, so to speak, then like why not just why not just roll with that? Like if you make that your truth and it's better uh for you to to live with that then then so be it um and we kind of like we get gestures at the inverse of that too right with chow recontextualizing his uh relationship with su li zen in in the mood for love did she ever really did she ever really love me um and just kind of like exploring the inverse of that as well last year last year at marion bad does that uh right. and, that, and, and like you become ahead. so you become so obsessed with that idea that the world itself reflects that right like that's sort of what is symbolically happening is that like he is so obsessed with replaying that over and over again that he starts to see it everywhere that like in in the end that's the only thing the world looks like right yeah, yeah, definitely. And I Harry's uh recitation of the the Cowboy Bebop parallels. I I think get into my feelings about that, you know, that you alluded to Jason the the sort of um placement of memory in all of this um his his sci-fi tale which i which people love i'd like to read that sometime why the hell not that sounds pretty cool uh and also equally brutal um and like that's like an exploration of the same idea of like you know nobody comes back from this i'm attempting to come back from this Will I ever do? Will we ever know the true state of memory or this place that we're trying to get to and or escape from? Who knows? Um, the uh, at, at one point near, I think it's near the end, and I forget the context specifically, but Chow um, refers to something as a mystery with no solution, and that is like an encapsulation of shit that I just really dig, uh, and th- like that's I'm content with not knowing. Right. what the destination is or what the the place is in its you know nitty grittiness you know if uh, if uh, if i need to reconstruct this memory or recontextualize it in order to feel alive or to feel like myself or like a different better version of myself then like i will do that maybe that's the answer i've been looking for the this whole time 
Right. Um, just as a side note, he is referring to uh, the black spider's hand as it's gloved. Um, and I got to say, that's yeah. that's a mystery with definitely a very, very concrete, definite solution. And it is remove the glove and find out what's underneath. Just wanted to send yeah. sins it for a moment there. Um, right. Harry, I, example. Right. You're right. 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 Uh, I wanted to uh, pivot real quick, but I'll let Harry take it away because it seems like you've got a thought probably around what Cody was saying. Yeah, just the the last thing, which is that like it's um, and I I hate to be so up my my own butt right now, right? But like it's um, it's one car wise Felix Culpa, um, which is like the the happier the blessed fall, which said that like um, it was like a um, like an early uh, medieval or late medieval uh, British literature thing about how like um, the, the original fall, like mankind's original sin was actually like a good thing, or like it was something that, that we should consider blessed because it was part of God's story for us. And it was like part of um, the ultimate narrative of humanity was that we had to fall so that we could find redemption again. And that like, in the end, that is a, as blessed a part of the, the whole narrative as this, that's like, where Wong Kar Wai ends up, right? Is that, is that like, and it, it's where, uh, in the mood and for love ends up, right? Is that like he whispers into that hole and then we see the temple that those whispers built. And it's like, there's something, it doesn't, it doesn't much like Felix Culpa, it doesn't make it any easier to take, right? Like the, the tragedy of Chow's life is still a tragedy. It's still defined by sadness, but that is his power. That is who he is. And it's what allows him to write 2046 or uh, 2046. And it's what allows him to be the person that he is and understand the world the way that he does. Um, And in the end, like he tells um, uh, poor, long suffering. uh, Shit, I can't remember her name now. Um, Bai Ling, excuse me. Um, he, He can't give that away, right? Like that is his to possess and he comes to possess it. Right. And that's what Wong Kar Wai is saying about his emotions in general. Right. Is that like like these terrible things that have that have happened to me that like these sadnesses that I'll never recover from. They are mine. They make me who I am and I'm using them to to make these things. And in that way, I have to be sort of happy about them. Um, One must imagine Sisyphus happy. what is Amor Fati, the love of fate, the Nietzschean thing? It's all of that, right? Damn. Uh, and when you factor in the whole like concept of emotion and uh, you know human fragility being something that's not always aligned to to you, to like that's what I got from the androids on the good ship two hundred four six or whatever the train is called. Um, was the concept of like these like human responses, human emotions, human interactions and relationships will not, are not determined by one person They're And they're not determined by two people. They're determined by an entire universe of, uh, you know, thoughts and feelings and motivations. They're determined by the world around you. Therefore, like when the androids, uh, as they experience and as they age and as they, um, you know, interact, they become less and less responsive. They become more and more, all like the movies framing positions them as like failures as mechanical failures to grow slower to respond to grow less accurate in their responses you know maybe they feel sad in the moment and then they cry a day later maybe they like you know the example that the movie gives is when he's uh you know his his japanese avatar is embracing uh the fei wong android um she like 
brushes him off, walks away, and then 10 hours later is seen sort of like, you know, sultrily stroking one column in this train, right? Like it's, it's that notion of your journey is not yours alone, especially when, you know, there are people that you meet along the way, the people who are moving in parallel to it. Um, but uh, I wanted to make a quick pivot as I start to wrap up, wrap up my thoughts. Aaron, I'm getting, obviously we've set like a, a, a small little, uh, you know, three foot barrier between how I feel about the movie, how you feel about the movie and how Harry and Cody both feel about the movie, which is somewhat more positive. Are you closer then to like some of the words you used to describe your feelings on the movie were that it was unfocused, maybe not quite grounded. Are you closer now to like some of that to feeling like there was a point, like there's a, a definite end state that you can wrap your head around? Uh, I, I, I think there's a point. I think my problem is just with the execution. So I don't, I don't necessarily know if my, uh, I mean, I do think this is a good movie. I don't know if I think it's a better movie than before we started talking about it. Um, but I, I think there's been some some pretty good points here. I did I did try and um, you know I do kind of I think if there's one thing that I connect the most with I think it's you know the science fiction portion of the story is kind of I kind of wish that it was maybe a little larger. Um, but I do like what it is doing kind of with the narrative here. Um, I think that the kind of the metaphor as life as this kind of train that we're heading down, um, you know. I had, I had written up a whole thing actually for the, the Aaron Grossman Wong Kar Wai film department quality index about this. This is a hard movie to assess in that manner. I, this movie is not about apartments in the same way that most of Wong Kar Wai's other movies uh, are. So I, I decided to give it no rating for that. Uh, but I did write up kind of a thing. And, and then I think that Chow's apartment is kind of this train car that he rides in, right? As he kind of interacts with the people who live next door to him. Um, I think that he, you know, interacts briefly with the others who live next to him, but all of his interactions, I think the way that he is cursed is that all of his interactions uh, since the events of In the Mood for Love are uh, kind of destined to only be fleeting, right? He is never allowed to actual, actually tie himself to anyone or to anyone's live uh, in any sort of permanent way. So kind of in this manner, I like the the central metaphor of uh, the people that he, he comes into contact with and the people who live next to him are kind of like the passengers that you meet on a journey or the sights that you see as you're kind of, you know, staring out the window. Um, I think that that exactly. acts really nicely to a train with no other passengers, because even though, uh, you know, kind of future Chow is on this train. He is kind of truly alone because he's unable to build the same kind of uh, uh, connections that other people do um, for better or worse. Right. Like I think that he uh, oh, who is the character I'm going to mess this up when he meets uh, Lulu uh, again. Uh, later in the film, he remarks that uh, she, she's kind of destined to always have the have these kind of very sad encounters uh, with with the men in her life, uh, and she's unable to move on from that. But in a way, at least she is still building these relationships with people, and at least she is kind of content in that sadness. Uh, whereas, mm-hmm. if you take a look at him; he's not even able to do that, right? Like he is per- just destined permanently uh, to kind of uh, live in this kind of transient manner. I think that that is what I connect most with in this film, or not connect with, but I, I really like that aspect of it. Um, it's just kind of. I wish it had been a little more tightly wound around that. And I, mm-hmm, I uh, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it is cool to see. I've also, you know, the last few films that uh, we've seen of his that I've, I've talked about, I've kind of complained about the, 
uh, uh, kind of very specific manner. I kind of wished that he had gone and done this more kind of uh, wide reaching film. And I think this is that. So I guess I got to I got to make I got to sleep in the bed that I made, I guess, too. So. Uh, Jason, something that you said uh, really resonated with me, which is that um, that idea that that you're not alone on your journey. Right. I think that like that um, that almost sort of paradox um, of 2046 is at the heart of what what works so well for me. Um, I it's weird to get personal, but like the thing about both this movie and like Cowboy Bebop is that like the idea that that as you grow older uh the experiences that you have form sort of a a prison in your mind for you where you lose your ability to sort of like express or feel as broadly as you could uh in childhood i it's a weird thing to say i call it the like the inward spiral it's that sort of like descent towards solipsism where like confirmation bias like takes over and you start to like feel as you become more yourself your ability to sort of like perceive the world becomes more limited that is like the scariest thing uh in the world to me um and so like i'm i'm predisposed to really love art that is interested in that and in tackling that um and what you said jason about the the process of realizing that there are other people who are also in the process of becoming withdrawn into themselves in the process of moving away from one another and that is the sort of like universal um that that can make us relate to one another again is like kind of the answer that this movie well it's the answer that cowboy bebop arrives at uh the answer that this movie arrives at is that like you have to recognize that that's happening to you and you have to even if it's not the story you want you have to take ownership of it so that you can sort of like move outside yourself and like look around a little bit at the other passengers as Aaron alluded to um and like i guess that's at the heart of what I think is so interesting and and beautiful about this movie is that like we're in the mood for love set up this, this idea that this happens to everyone, that everyone ends up with the tension between who they want to be and who they are um, and feeling like they've lost their story. Um, This movie is saying that you have to, you have to um, understand that that story is who you are and you have to like, understand that it's who everyone is and you have to let that be the way that you think about and approach things because that will allow you to see other people again um and i think that that's really really powerful i guess basically wonderfully said yeah uh yeah aaron was there anything else cody was there anything else that you wanted to get into before we finish up here not on my end no, I, I feel like I've, we, I've, I've arrived at my destination. Um, hey, wow, hey. With you fellas. All right, this, then this podcast is like a train that's never going to arrive at its destination. Am I right, fellas? Wow, uh, ten thousand hours later. Um, they never did. They never did a thousand years. They kept. They kept teasing me with it because I kept thinking that they were going to do "Love You for a Thousand Years" with yeah. the Android, and they were like, "Oh, it's been a thousand days. It's been a thousand hours." Really good. Um, also, when uh, somebody somebody at one point asked Chow if he's not in the mood for love, which I, I was like, I was so mad about it. I was like throwing Mold. shit. Yeah, really good. <laughs> uh, Harry, keep that energy up as we 
segue into our final segment. Into our final segment, the greatest segment of all, the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's Noties. Fucking wow. nailed it. It is dead. It is on a cross, dead. Thank goodness for that. Uh, just kidding. Thank you, as always, for that very lovely uh, introduction um, as we segue into this new bit, and I'm opening up a new war document. Um, so yeah, I, I, my original intent was to not double up on uh, bits or, or games or activities, but the Wong Kar Wai slate has gone on for two months, um, <laughs> and that made it uh, very hard to do. And also, the temptation was too juicy this time. We are uh, looking at, uh, I, I guess, an author that we've already seen and discussed in a previous episode, but in this version of that author, we are seeing and hearing his writings more viscerally on screen. So I, I felt we had to do our part to write a little something of our own through Trilibs, which is our attempt at replicating the um, family-friendly question mark uh, activity that we're all familiar with, Mad Libs, where we take parts of speech uh, and, um, I'm derailing my thoughts so hard. You take parts of speech, you slot them into a story, you make something fun out of it. We're going to do something similar today with, um, this, this story, which I'm just calling the, the sci-fi travelogue. Um, we're going to, uh, go through each of you in reverse alphabetical order by first name. So Jason, Harry, Aaron, we're going to finish this story that, uh, somewhat cosmically ties back to the movie that we just, uh, that we just discussed. Um, so un unless you three fellows have anything you wanted to say, we can jump into this. Let's get really, it. Really, cool. I, all righty. Um, and Jason, we're gonna, we're gonna start with you. What I need from you is a, uh, a type of vehicle. Uh, how broad are we talking brand? Uh, whatever you like. A rickshaw. A rickshaw. Oh, damn. A rickshaw. Yeah. We're going feudal with this one. Yeah, rickshaw, come our, on the pod. Our future uh, Fist of Fury episode, perhaps. Ooh. Gonna have to bleep that yeah. one out. Locked us into Fist of Fury. Yep, we're doing it. Yeah, that we are. Um, yeah, spoilers, again. Uh, I, want, I wanted to talk about Fist of Fury, you guys. That's why I did it. Ah, very good. Um, the subtext is made text. Uh, Harry, from you, I'm going to need a year. Uh, 2048. Why 2048 or is that 2048? 2048. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Um, I had to ask that so that, uh, cause that shows up in multiple places. So I had to do a little bit of extra typing. I'm just pulling back the curtain. Do 2047 cause that was also in the movie. So we decided just to right. turn the screws a little bit more. Exactly. What's, what's um, up? One car. Why I'm built different. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody here would, would dispute that. Um, Aaron, from you, I'm going to need a noun. Uh, gun. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> All yeah. right. Uh, now, Jason, um, this one's uh, going to be a, a little bit different. From you, I'm going to need you to, to mention something that's yours. What is something that's yours? The love of my friends. Aww. Do we need to be yeah. more like concrete? Oh, that's <laughs> more real. No, no, that's that's perfect. Um, Harry, from you, I'm going to need a type of housing unit. Why? Well, I, I guess I have to go with a uh, a condo. 
Of course, you gotta go with a condo. Um, Aaron, from you, could I please get a number? Uh, 2046. <laughs> All right. Somehow. Hey, yeah, you again, we got a uh, Jason from you. Could I please get a holiday? Leaf Erickson Day. Dinga dinga Durgan. <laughs> yes. Uh, that was not my best. Dinga dinga Durgan. Um, but uh, hopefully now Harry can give us his best phrase for refusing someone. Uh, shit, dude. Um, there, no, there was. <laughs> that was uh, that was pretty good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm also, I'm jazzing these up a little bit to, to, I don't know, keep us all on our toes. Hey, Harry, so, could, um, could you, could you, could you let me borrow your uh, Crunchyroll login for a little bit? I just need to stream like the most horny hentai anime I can find, and you respond with, "Ah, uh, shit, dude." Beat for beat. That's amazing. Got it. Um, I believe we're on Aaron now. Aaron, could I please get from you a verb? Uh, jump. Whatever form you want to take that in, yeah. Oh, oh, I will take it in a certain form. Stay tuned for that, my man. Um, also, no, no gun word. Uh, that that time. Ooh, you can you bummed. can jump with a gun. Uh, yeah, yeah, you jump can jump. prove that. <laughs> yeah. I guess I, you I've can jump with guns in many, many video games. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, stay tuned for our spinoff podcast, Cheat Cody's. Uh, I don't mean to speak that into existence, but um, I needed a vampire. Uh, Jason, could I get from you a type of machine? Uh, gun. <laughs> I fucking knew it. God damn it. Yeah, okay. Uh, I knew what I was getting into. Uh, Harry, could I please get an adverb from you? Um, deliciously. Deliciously. Um, Aaron, a noun, if you please. Uh, bigger gun. <laughs> Is that a noun? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's an adjective and a noun, but yeah, okay. I'll, I'll yeah, the judges accept I'll, it. You'll allow it, yeah. I, yeah, I'm not going to not allow it. Um, Jason, will you allow me to take from you uh, a, a type of physical response or activity? Physical response? Um, do you mean like like <laughs> hair raising? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can. I will can that work? That. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's let's do it. Um. And uh, and Harry, from you, I'm going to need a type of physical response or activity. Um, hmm, a type of physical response or activity. Hoopin. He said jump. I'm going to, you know, Chow shouldn't have, um, he shouldn't have fallen in love. He should have hooped. He was tall as hell. He was tall as hell. Um, and, uh, and Aaron, uh, I have no segue for that because <laughs> it's impossible to. But uh, Aaron, from you, could I please get a period of time? Uh, ooh, like a... Like oh, a unit of time. Sure. Uh, Just say a light year, man. Just say uh, a light year. Yeah, light year. How long is a light year? Yeah, light year. Uh, well, it's a... How long? It's a type of gun. Distance, um, isn't it? Uh, I was no, making a Oh, yeah, we're going to leave it, but I think it's technically a distance, but we'll... Sure. 
they address that in the first generation Pokemon games. So a shout out to those. Maybe we can revisit those on a different podcast. Uh, Cheat Cody's. Jason, from you, could I please get a, uh, a name? Maggie. I'm not going to read into that. Um, perfect. And we are getting very close to the end. Um, have to give that as an obligatory heads up. Uh, Harry, from you, could I please get a noun? Chung. Chung? Oh, that's, 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 that's a proper noun. Um, Quapo. Is that how you pronounce that dress? I, I'm going to say it exactly as you said it, and I already Great. typed out phonetics for it. Um, so thank you for that. Aaron, from you, could I please get a verb? Uh, shoot. There we go. Now we're talking. Uh, Jason, from you, could I please get a verb? Um, die. Very neat. Very, very cool. Um, Harry. From you, could I please get a a different type of machine than the one that was already mentioned? Bomb. Or no, cool. grenade, excuse me. Are we just oh, oh hell yeah. Psychopaths. Oh, you know how much I love you know how much I love grenades. Uh, well, I did it for you, Cody. Oh ugh, man, y- y'all are just the best. And finally, from Aaron, what I'm gonna need from you is the name of a movie. Uh, three ten to Yuma. I thought he was going to do shoot him up. <laughs> oh, both good choices. Um, thank you very much for that. I think I got all my typings in, so now we can jump immediately into Trilib's sci-fi travelogue. <clears throat> One day long ago, I boarded a rickshaw on its way to tw- uh two o four eight twenty forty eight. Whatever you like. To some, it's a year. To others, it's a place. And to some others, it's merely a gun. Even now, I couldn't tell you what it is. You see, I lost the love of my friends in 2048. I looked high and low no! for every condo I could find. Yeah, spoilers. It's gonna get a, it's gonna get a little sad. Uh, I looked high and low through every condo I could find. I spent 2046 Leaf Erickson days trying to recapture that feeling. But as they say, uh, shit, dude, it was gone forever. <laughs> God, it's so true. It is true. Uh, I'm told I'm the first one to make a return trip. All others who seek out 2048 spend the rest of their days jumping. I'm uh, True. I'm here now, on the return rickshaw home. It's staffed by many automated guns. They're deliciously designed, but there's only one problem. When they've, uh, when they've served on so many long, bigger guns, fatigue begins to set in. For example, they might want to raise hairs, but the smile would be sl- too sl- uh, would be excuse me slow to come. They might want to hoop, but the tear wouldn't well up until the next light year. <laughs> Eventually, I fell in love with one of them, a gun named Maggie. They brought me back to that day so many years ago when a quapo first appeared in my heart. Nah. It's still there, shooting inside me, but I could feel it dying fast. I couldn't stop wondering if Maggie loved me back, but in the end, I think they had already given their love to a grenade. I feel like I may finally have the strength to leave this rickshaw. I think my destination's arriving soon. Until then, I'll be here, sitting in my compartment, watching the classic film from my time, 310 to Yuma, waiting for the feeling to return. The end. Do all? Uh, code libs, as I'm going to call them. 
Cody mm. Lewis. Do they do they all end with watching movies? Is that oh the, yeah, oh yeah, just one. Okay, that's very good. I like that. We we we've talked a lot on this episode, just like uh, life, baby. Uh, uh, hey. about the things that we need to do in trilibs. These trilibs all need to end us uh, end with us or the characters rather watching some kind of movie. You love to hear it. Uh, Cody, you could pursue a career as a uh, science fiction writer, much like Chow, if you wanted, because that was very great. Wow, thanks. That's a very scary thought, but I will definitely consider it as I look to make my own truth in this fine, uh, fucked up world. As Chow said at one point, it's hard to make a living writing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, that reminds me of another quote I wrote down. Uh, Some thought I was a reformed character. Actually, I was writing. Uh, that gave me a laugh, even though it wasn't meant to. Brutal. It's hard to make a living podcasting, but uh, good thing we don't need to. Um, this has been our episode on 2046. I'm choosing the third or fourth pronunciation of that film title that we've chosen, um, which is playing at the Trilon. I think I just got my Trilon uh, program from the Trilon Club today. As did I. Indeed. Yeah. I believe that this How is playing today. Uh, you know, just uh, I because I haven't checked my mail for four days. I believe that <laughs> 2046 is playing later this month uh, as of the time of this release in, in March. Is that correct? March. Oh, boy. I'm looking at it right now. March, April, somewhere in there. Sorry, time, April, time has no meaning now, so you have some leeway. Yeah, goofy. Uh, April 2nd, it is the only film playing on 35mm as part of the Wonka Y series at the Trilon. It is playing April wow. 2nd through April 4th. Uh, there is limited seating at the Trilon due to coronavirus restrictions and uh, no open containers of any kind of food or drink. So, But get a ticket if you uh, plan to go, if you can go safely. Um, and uh, if you can't, maybe you can buy a ticket and leave that space for somebody else to socially distance because I believe this film is also on Amazon Prime. Not the recommended way to watch it, but what really is. Uh, this has been our episode on that film, though. Go back and listen to the rest of our Wong Kar Wai movie episodes if you haven't already. If you're some kind of weirdo and decided to hop into this one, uh, Godspeed. You have made it much further than I would have through my own podcast. My name is Jason Daphnis, uh, and this is Trilove. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. Find the Trilon at Trilon.org and at Trilon Cinema on all social media platforms. Find me at Nintendoofus. Man, what a fucking good outro, Jason. Jesus. Uh, All in one take, too. That was wild. Yeah, I know we don't uh, necessarily make a living off of podcasting, but uh, Jason deserves uh, some big bucks. Uh, Well done. Thank you for for listening as we've been Wonkar watching. Hopefully you have been as well. Um, But uh, I've been Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm sorry I talked so much about Cowboy Bebop and that I can't pronounce... uh or however you pronounce that dress. I'm, I'm very sorry about that. I'm going to work on it. Uh, in the meantime, I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me at Shiitake Harry. I'm Aaron, and you can find me walking down a road, a road like a cemetery, a cemetery in the year 2046, a forgotten cemetery under the eyelid of a corpse, or an unborn child bathed in dispassionate fluids of an eye that tried so hard to forget one particular thing that it ended up forgetting everything else. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at please. I can't top that, but I will try. I have a secret to tell you. Will you leave with me?